With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. Ooh, Bosco's boys. Come on, boys. The boys are back, and folks, this is one we've been waiting on for a while. He is the single greatest scorer in K-State basketball history. He is, in my opinion, the single greatest basketball player in program history. He wears the number zero. He was the man when I was in college, and I guarantee he's still the man in every single hype video they show before the game. And before you know it, and maybe we'll ask him about it, his jersey will be in the rafters. It's the man, the myth, the legend, fear the beard, the goat, whatever you want to call him. It is number zero, Jacob Poland. Jake, thanks so much for coming on with us tonight. How are you doing? I know you've been grinding over there, still playing basketball. How's your weekend been going? Man, it's been good, man. I just finished up on the coast of Croatia for a game back in Slovenia. I appreciate all the love, man. It is, I can't complain, man. I'm still living a dream. I still get to put the ball in the basket for a living, and they pay me. So life's not bad. Hey, that's what I like to hear. Um, before we get into any of the questions, I have to just get the sponsor out of the way. We're sponsored by ColorCast. We're going to be going live on Wednesday, February 16th, 7 p.m. So be sure to have your eyes peeled to the Twitter account. Join us live. Hell, we might talk a little bit about Jacob Poland's interview on here. We'll be talking about the K-State game on Monday with West Virginia. Can they get another big win? Anything the fans want to talk about, we'll be talking about live on ColorCast, 7 p.m. So there's a lot of stuff I want to talk about. I'm sure there's stuff you want to talk about. I'm going to go through these chronologically. Hopefully we can get through most of it. Again, you're such a legend. We might have to beg you to come on a second time, but let's just get to it. Um, a couple of years ago, we had Bill Walker on the show, Bill Henry Walker. And he told oh, us, boy. Some, oh yeah. Well, and he, he told us some fun stories about some stuff going on off the court between you, between him, between Mike, some of the funny stuff. So what is the best story you can give us from that freshman year off the, off the court with those two jokesters? The best story, the best story I could give you, man, I got some good Bill stories too, man. Bill, Bill is a special guy, man. That's like literally between Bill and Mike and, and you know, all of us coming in. When we first came in, we did a lot of stuff that just was like, you know, kid stuff freshman stuff man and and bill was top notch but i'll tell you my favorite bill walker story he gonna hate this story but this is my favorite bill walker story so this is like i want to say october this is either october or november this is beginning of the season i don't think we we was just starting and we hadn't played yet but we had found out that walmart had bb guns so first people that found out was Mike and Bill. So they bought BB guns before me, Fred, Ron, or Dominique, anybody else. Dominique wasn't there yet. Dominique and Jim, it was still early, matter of fact. 
So me, Fred, and Ron hadn't gotten the BB guns yet. So Mike and Bill had them. They came in the haymaker, and I literally had just finished lifting. My body was so sore. I was in my bed asleep. But we used to always leave our doors unlocked. And this one time, Bill kicked in the door with a BB gun, and he just starts shooting at me and Fred. And I'm under the cover, and he's hitting me with BBs, and I'm like, ah. And I'm, I'm just pissed off now. Like, I'm so upset. Bill's laughing. He's crying laughing and walking out of our room. We walking down the hall. So later on that night after practice, me and Fred go to Walmart. And we buy some BB guns. So Bill is like, he's in his room down there on the second floor. We're on the sixth floor. So this time me and Fred are like, all right, we're going to kick the door in and we're going to shoot at him with a BB gun. We kick the door in. Bill is in there with a girl. We shoot at him with a BB gun. He's living. He's pissed. He's so mad. Oh, I'm going to fucking kill you guys. So we take all. We run back upstairs. Fred leaves. I go back into the room. And for some reason, I heard something in the hallway. And I open the door. And it's Bill steaming down the hallway. He's so pissed off. So I close the door back. I load my BB gun back up. And I, and I scream down the hall. I say, Bill, don't come down here. I'm going to shoot you. But he's still charging down the hall. So I lean out the hallway. And I shoot the BB gun. I hear it ricochet off the door. The next thing I hear is Bill saying, oh, fuck my tooth. I shot his tooth out. <laughs> so the next two days, Bill wants to kill me in practice. I'm walking around with my BB gun everywhere because I'm scared that if I see Bill off the court, he's going to try to kill me. Like, he's upset. He got he had a half a tooth. He ended up getting it fixed. And after that, that's what Frank told us. He's like, you, you guys can never have BB guns again. Nobody ever. So that was the quickest way to get BB guns this bar from the team. You know, it's funny. He he told a version of that story, but he said, hey, if you want to hear the real funny parts of it, you got to get Jake on. He'll tell you a little bit more what went down. So he only yeah, told Bill. us about the tooth. He didn't say you busted in on him with a girl. Well, he was in there with a girl. We were looking for him and Mike. But when we busted in on a girl, we didn't want to shoot the girl because we didn't want to get in trouble. Well, so we were, shoot, we, were shooting, yeah, we were shooting around her. So we didn't really get Bill good, but we knew he would still be mad that we busted in. So when he came upstairs, like I said, Fred had just left. And I just, for some reason, I heard him coming down the hallway. And I told him, I was like, Bill, don't come down here. I'm going to shoot you, man. And he kept running. The next thing I know, the next day I seen him, we had uh, human sex in, uh, what? We had human sexuality in some some building. But I was walking to class and I seen Bill. And he only had one tooth. And I turned around and I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to class. I don't want to deal with him today. So I just oh. walked back to the dorm. Oh, that's that's amazing. So during that freshman year, you know, I every, the entire eyes of the country, college basketball were on Manhattan, Kansas. You, Mike, Bill, uh, you guys are headlining things. It was the year that changed K-State basketball, got us back, kind of gave to the rebirth of K-State basketball. What do you remember about atmospheres on the court that year, on the road, at home, and just kind of the revitalization of the K-State fan base when it comes to basketball. I mean, it was amazing because the thing about it was I had got to see some games the year before when Hugs was there. I had came to the KU game. I had uh, seen another game. I came to uh, March Madness, I think. Like So, you know, I had seen the fans getting back into it because of Hugs. You know, that Hugs really made everybody believe, like, you know, I'm turning the program around. So, but for us to get there and be there with Frank and to still see everybody full out support and every game packed in the Octagon of Doom, we go on the road and we get packed crowds, you know, Mike and Bill are special. Like, you know, those, those aren't regular freshmen. Like, if you if you put them in any other freshman class, they're one in one in two again, one in three again in, the, in those classes. Like, those are some generational type players. So 
to have those two guys playing with them, that freshman year was amazing, man. And if, if we could have got Clemente to transfer the year before so he could have played that year, oh, man, that team would have been special. That oh, yeah. team would have been really different. Well, and then, you know, the, the you know O.J. Mayo was once there. And then, again, another mm -hmm. thing Bill Walker told us is you guys almost got Kevin Love to come mm -hmm. to K-State as well. We almost – it was four people that almost came to K-State that, that would have helped us crazily, and everybody knows. O.J. Mayo was one at first. He was talking about coming with Bill. Then Nolan was supposed to come with uh with with Mike and Delonte at first, but then he ended up choosing Duke. Then we were supposed to get DJ Blair. DJ oh, um, wow. uh, Dewan Blair. Dewan Blair and DJ Kennedy came on a visit with us. And they were they were literally talking about coming, but Dominique committed on our visit and DJ Kennedy said no, so Dewan Blair said no. But we would have had Dewan Blair, Michael Beasley, and Bill Walker. And I honestly don't think nobody was scoring the paint on us. No, no, definitely would have. So uh, you committed while Hugs was still there. How did you find out that Bob was going to West Virginia? What was your initial reaction when that happened? And then what was your reaction when Frank got the job and he was going to keep the rest of the staff together? Well, the, when I found out that Hugs, I found out literally as I was like packing stuff, it was the, the I was it was it had to be closer to the end of the year because he didn't he didn't make the decision until the summertime. Mm -hmm. And I remember once the decision came out, my dad told me. And I asked him, I was like, do you think we still go? And the first person that called me was Mike. Mike actually called me, called my cell phone. And he asked, he told me, he said, if I'm still in, is you still in? And I was like, well, Bill already there. So if you still in, yeah, I'm in. I'm like, who going who gonna to be the coach? And he was like, I talked to Delonte and they thinking about Frank. And if Frank stayed, Delonte stayed, we all stay. And I was like, well, I'm in. I was like, if we got our guys, I'm in. I'm, I, I picked to be with y'all. I'm going to be loyal. Like, and, and loyalty is something that Frank, me, Mike, Delonte is things that we always talked about because that's one of the biggest things. And now you see how kids could transfer any day. There's no loyalty anymore. Like I would have ran through a wall for Frank if Frank asked me to run through a wall. And I would have believed that he was telling me to run through a wall for the right reasons. No, definitely. Um, so we talked a little bit about that rebirth. And I think it really happened that home game versus KU, the first win ever in Bramlage, the first one in – like 27 or some years, the streak, everyone knows it, you know, uh, what do you remember from that game? Because I went back and I looked at the stat line. I, and I, I knew you had 20 points. I was going back and looking through your stat lines early on in freshman year that really catapulted you, I think, you know, into everyone's, uh, you know, frontal life. You came off the yeah, bench. They, they started to realize that I could play a little basketball. Exactly. exactly. So, so what was that game like for you? Uh, again, you know, going back, watching those videos, I can't believe you were running around with those baggy shorts, you know, fashion should have changed like the very next year for you guys. But uh, what was that? And my t-shirt was long. My t-shirt was almost down on my neck. It was like a long sleeve. But, oh, uh, but that, what was that game going like? into the game with Mike and Bill making the, the predictions and talking the trash that they had talking. The thing is, me and Sharon actually are like our neighborhoods are really close. So we have a lot of mutual friends and a lot of people that know each other. And we've known each other for a long time. So it had already began talk like, oh, K-State-KU, oh, Sharon going to beat Jake and Jake going to beat Sharon. So it was more to that game than just a streak. I was playing against a, a neighborhood rival that I've always wanted to compete against and beat. And he always brought the best of me. And I think I always brought the best of him when he played against me. So that was part of it. But after – seeing the crowd be there for two, three days before the game and, and how packed it was and just the emotion 
of, of people like, you know, really wanting us to win. And as the game got going, man, it felt like, it, I honestly felt like it was an out-of-body experience. Like, cause as a freshman, every shot I took and every everything that I did that game, I just felt like it was like perfect timing. Like DK throwing me that backdoor pass for the AM one. Frank drew up that play where I throw it over my shoulder to Mike. He, for some reason, Frank just knew that they would give me baseline. And he told Mike, he was like, if Jake gets baseline, follow him to the rim, you'll get a dunk. And the whole time when he went to, I think it was Russell Robinson, when he opened up and I got baseline, I was thinking, man, this is really happening like that. And as I threw it over my shoulder to Mike Duncan, I was like, man, we about to win. Frank, Frank saw the future already. Like, he knows these plays before they happen. And the, like I say, after we won that game, the emotion from the crowd, the fans of just ending that street, that's when I realized, like, man, this, this is it for me. Like, this, this is the type of love that I grew up watching in college basketball. I grew up watching D. Brown at Illinois. I grew up watching uh, Salim Steinemeyer at Arizona and, and how crowds just, like, people just, AC Law at Texas A&M, people just really got behind those guys and really just pushed them into that that upper rank of where if he he going to beat you because this crowd's behind him, man. You can't come into this gym and beat them. When I played in our garden, I didn't think I could lose in that gym. Honest to God. After my freshman year, after we beat KU, going into my sophomore and junior and senior year, I felt like if you came into Manhattan, Kansas, you had no fucking chance to beat me. <laughs> you, can, you can go back home, bro. I, I could tell people before. We used to tell Missouri guys before the game, market them, and then we used to tell them, like, man, y'all can leave. This game's over with, bro. You got no chance. Either we win or we fight. <laughs> well, so that's, that's something I wanted to talk about because, again, the, the big rivalry for the fans is always going to be KU. But I remember, you know, the eight, nine times you guys played Missouri, you know, from your freshman year on, that seemed like the one that you guys on the floor, that's where the most hate was. That's where the most yeah. animosity comes from. What, what was it about those Missouri teams that you guys, like Man. you said, you were either going to beat them or you're going to fight them? Missouri was the – only team in the Big 12 that mirrored us as much as we mirrored them. We were the two toughest teams in the Big 12. And when I mean tough, I don't mean like, you know, fighting tough. I mean like as far as getting your face, guard you for 40 minutes, don't give you anything easy, and we're not afraid of you no matter what. So the initial reaction from us in Missouri as both being tough teams was, are you not afraid of us? We're not afraid of you. We can fight. Like And that boiled over to the court, and it just made – it just made for a great love-hate relationship because to this day, me and Marcus Deming are very close. I can text Marcus right now. He could check on the kids, all of that good stuff. Like, But at that time, I would text. I used to tell Marcus Deming before the game, we could meet in Kansas City, get a hotel and fight. That's how much we hated those guys. We used to literally – we wouldn't shake hands when the referees would tell us, like, like uh, captains, shake hands. We wouldn't shake hands with them. Every other team, we shake hands, talk – Missouri come out there? Nah, I'm good, bro. Don't touch me. Like, that's how much. But like I say, it was because they they mirrored us. They played just as hard. Kim English, uh, Mike Dixon, I talked to him to this day. Phil Preston, like, they had guys, JT Tiller when I was younger. They had guys that would run through a wall for Mike Anderson the same way we would run through a wall for Frank. So it, it always made for one of the best battles that I had in the 12. Between them and KU, those were my favorite teams to play because I knew that those nights I had to bring. Definitely. So you took over really as the role or the role of the leader on the team starting your sophomore year because, you know, Mike and Bill went off to the NBA and then there were some of the older guys who were on that team that, hey, their time had come and it was your turn to pick up the mantle as the team leader. Were you ready for that responsibility as just a sophomore? Is that something you relished? 
Is that something that, you know, Frank or the coaches said to you and say, hey, look, Jake, it's your turn. You have to step up. Nah, but Frank didn't didn't push me into that role. I, I, I gathered myself and took that role, but it was I didn't do a good job sophomore year, and our record and my play showed it. Me and Clemente didn't figure it out together. Sophomore year, we thought that it was more of a tug of war between us. It wasn't a beef, but it was like, if you shoot, I think I deserve to shoot. And you shouldn't say nothing to me if I shoot, and I won't say nothing to you if you shoot. We didn't figure out how to play together until the next year. But sophomore year, when Frank gave us the, like you say, Mike and Bill is gone. We don't have Clint Stewart and the Dave Hoskins to, to talk to us and tell us, like, you know, this is how stuff would go. It was really me and Clemente figuring it out. And I felt like if we would have got to play together my freshman year, we would have had a better sophomore year. But like I say, Frank really gave us the keys and he lived and died with us. And that's why we were so good that next year. Because my sophomore year, I think I was shooting. I had games where I would go three for 16. I think I shot like 30% from three. Like, I really would have nights where, as a coach, I can understand if you had to bench me. <laughs> like, if you're trying to win a game, because I could be that bad at nights. And, and Clemente as well. But I think Frank understood that if he allowed us to grow together that next year, we would be unstoppable. And like I say, my sophomore year, we really, we, we could have had a better team, but we didn't do well together. And after that, when we figured it out, that's why the success we had my junior year was because Frank believed in us, because he allowed us to grow together and take the lumps that we did by our sophomore year. Yeah, so I, I do want to say this. To your guys' credit, while, yes, you're correct, you know, NIT finished fourth in the Big 12, had over 20 wins. Up until that point, there's only one other team that had ever been left out of the uh, NCAA tournament getting fourth place in the league fourth in 20 wins, so. and that was Hugs year. Sheesh. So, but we didn't have any credible wins that year as well. Our out of conference schedule games wasn't wasn't great. We didn't win against KU at home. We didn't. We we had no big wins to to really say this team deserves to be in. So, like I said, I I wasn't as upset because I I just knew as as the season was going, we didn't we didn't win the games that we needed to win. The big ones that would have gave us, and even though Chico put up forty four on Texas that year in Texas. We didn't have the type of games that we needed to, to mark our resume. And that's another reason why the next year Frank was able to schedule those good games out of conference to go play anybody anywhere that would play us because he had confidence that we can go do it. Yeah, let's get into that junior year because, again, you look at what you guys did. You got Xavier. You beat them at home. You beat UNLV out in Nevada. You guys beat Dayton. You beat Alabama. You guys had one of the Washington more impressive State. Washington State. Yeah, with Clay Thompson. You beat them mm-hmm. inside Bramlage for the uh, Pac-12 Big Ten uh, championship. You guys had a great non-conference season, and that ended up being a again. I think that's one of the debates. You know, in in my my generation of K State fans, as one of the best years ever, twenty six and seven, uh, ranked as high as fifth at different points. So what you, you kind of touched on it, but the team just had to be clicking, having almost everyone back from that previous year. What do you remember the buildup to that season? Then once you guys really started getting clicking that junior year, the summer after losing to San Diego, San Diego state, we lost to, yeah, we lost San Diego state in our team that summer. We had an option to like, you know, Frank usually be like, Oh, you know, you guys get a couple of weeks before summer school and stuff like that. I think nobody wanted to leave Kirk Kelly just showed up on campus and the the demeanor the atmosphere completely changed it went from 
It went from a team that expected to 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 be good and and compete to a team that we knew that we were better than everybody. We knew that if we locked in, we could be better than everybody. And it started early that summer from weightlifting, playing pickup. We used to play pickup for three, four hours after working out for two, three hours and lifting. And then we would come back in the gym and play pickup again in the morning. And I got to the point that junior that going into my junior year that summer, if me and Clemente played on the same team and pickup, nobody else won that day. So that's when we started to realize, me and Clemente started to realize, like, hey, we got something here. Like, I can get you a shot, you can get me a shot. And preferably, nobody could guard both of us in the same night. And if they happen to, we still got Kirk, Jamar, and Dom, who really can't be guard with Wally and J.O. them coming in. Like, everybody got in early that summer. Rodney, them, the freshmen, they all were ready to work. And I, the God honest truth, Frank had that team on a rope where it was like, man, it was like a boomerang. If he threw it out there, he knew that we were running right back. Like, it was really, it was really a cohesive group. And everybody had the same goal in mind. Like, we going to win. And no matter how we do it, we going to win. If it's Chico 40, my 40, Jamar 30 off the bench, we're going to win the game. We're going to figure out. We're going to get stops. We're going to rebound because we're going to defend. And that's the one thing that I always knew about this, that team. We're going to defend. Everybody used to be like, oh, Denny don't play defense. He played enough defense that the rest of us around him would get stops and help him. And everybody did their job. That was the biggest thing on that team. We did our jobs. Definitely. While the game didn't go the way any of us wanted with a two-point loss in overtime, college game day, came to Manhattan where the fans set a record for attendance for the college basketball college game day show. Uh, again, another crazy atmosphere, probably one of the top five atmospheres in Bramlage history. What do you remember from that game? And then is there something about that KU team that you guys just couldn't get over the hump? Because again, it was three close that games. Team was but good. That didn't quite get them. And we were good, but that team was good, man. That KU team, uh, again, I give credit when credit is due. That KU team was good, and we had all of the pieces, but that was the one team that we couldn't get over the hump with. And like I say, and I honestly think that in the tournament, if we would have got Syracuse instead of Butler after a double overtime game, we beat them because that 2-3 zone allows us to relax and get our rhythm back. But that Kansas team, we couldn't beat them. Cole Aldridge would make plays. Sharon would make plays. And it wasn't, it wasn't the talent thing. It was – it was overall, it was talent, it was coaching, it was everything. Bill Self would put on that uh, triangle and two against me and Clemente to slow us down at the right moment. Then he would go back man when we would put Rod in so because he couldn't do it against Rod because Rod could space the court. It was it was so much trickery and stuff. Like it, To this day, I could go back and watch those games and look at small things and be like, ah, we could have changed that. We might have won. But that game right there was probably one of my funnest games. You know, going into overtime, that crowd against KU – I think Sharon had got a big and one in overtime to, to to really to seal the game. I think it was it was so, it was so much emotion in that game. That was one of the games that I really wish we could have won because the crowd and the atmosphere really deserved the victory that night. But like I say, we lost to them three times that year, and all three times we had a chance to beat them. At Allen Fieldhouse, I felt like we should have won that game. We, yeah, we were competing and we were in the game. And like I say, last few minutes, it always was something against KU where we would have a mental breakdown, an offensive rebound or a bad switch. Something would happen that would give up our momentum and we would end up shooting our load against them. And, and like I say, I give credit. That team was really good. And if they don't lose to Northern Iowa, that's a team that probably was going to the Elite Eight or Final Four that year. Yeah, so, so let's talk about that because it's Oklahoma City. I was there. You know, I, I was a fan. I, I went to both games. I saw you guys take care of. 
I believe it was North Texas was that uh, first game. Yep, North Texas, you guys are a two seed. So then right before your game, you guys see KU go down to Northern Iowa, and you're getting ready to go up against some dude named Jimmer Fredette. I don't even know who he is. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> you see KU go down, and they're coming through that tunnel right there in front of you guys. Did that give you any kind of pause for concern? Like, oh, wow, you know, this team we battled against, they just went down against some mid-major. We don't want to go down against, you know, some team called BYU with a bunch of weirdos, you know. I, I mean, if, did that, like, just if, shock your guys? You see the, uh, the, the uh, documentary we had did that year, as we, we was in the, in the, like you say, in the hallway watching it, that game finished. And the first thing I thought when that game was over, and I turned around and looked at my team, I was like, we don't want to be next. Everybody's here to go to the next round. It's only one game. It doesn't matter what we've done before this. One game at a time right now. And if we go out there thinking that we're better than somebody, you're gonna your season's over with. And we went out there, and it still didn't click to us right away because we went out there and we were down like 10-0, I think, maybe, maybe more. And Frank had to call a timeout for guys to realize, like, man, this do you want the season to be over with right now? Or do you want to continue to play and continue to make something out of this? And it, in the NCAA tournament, the beauty about it is that it doesn't matter about what your seed is, what you've done so far that season, who's on your team. Only thing that matters is that game, that moment. If you're better than somebody that moment, you get to play again the next day. And that's the thing that we figured out during that tournament, that we just need to be better. Whether it's two minutes that we're better than them, the last two minutes of the game so we can win, or if it's 40 minutes that we're better than them. But we have to be better than them so we, that we can win the game at some point. And like I say, our team did a good job that year in the tournament. We we really found a way to get wins against some tough opponents that year. And BYU was one of my favorite games because it was so much Jimmer talk before that game. And I told Brad the night before the game, I said, if he starts out hot and y'all put Dom on him, I'm gonna call, I'm gonna be pissed in the huddle because I want to guard him. Like I I've watched him play all year. I've studied film on him. I had watched his crossovers, his up and unders, everything. Like, I remember texting my brother the night before, like, man, if I get a chance to guard him, I'm going to pick him at head. And I, and then literally, did, I remember getting a chance, and I kept thinking as I was guarding, left or right, left or right, left or right. He did it, and I had my hand down there, and I was able to steal the ball a couple of times. But I really remember harassing Jim, Jimmer, and that was one of my funnest games, to be able to harass him. Yeah, and if you look back at your guys' NCAA tournament games, you guys got to play in front of a bunch of K-State fans up in Omaha, when you guys beat USC, you guys got to play in front of K-State fans in Oklahoma City your junior year. What are those atmospheres like? Because, again, you don't always get to play in front of a bunch of your fans in the NCAA tournament. Getting to play those games, what were those, you know, the USC game, the the first Wisconsin, all those games in front of so many K-State fans, what did that mean to you guys? Man, in the tournament, like you say, in the tournament, getting able to play in front of your crowd, it, it, it sways the game into a home court advantage on so when you do make that run and the crowd gets behind you, it's like you playing at home. It's, you know, when we made a run against BYU and the crowd got behind us, I could hear them struggling to hear each other's plays and stuff like that. That makes a difference in a game like that. Because if you don't know what he's calling and I hear what he's calling, I'm already on top of the play. I'm running the play before you. I'm running through this pass to get a steal. Like, and those, like I say, the, the NCAA tournament, the one in Omaha against USC, I remember Bill being so excited to play OJ. And then we came out there and we saw all of the purple that was in the crowd. Bill, we turned around and was like, man, it's a home game. They can't beat us at home. (laughs) So home games in the NCAA tournament, you don't get a lot of those. Because at some point you go into another place if you keep winning. 
So you got to take advantage of those. And I think both times we got that, we took advantage of it. We was able to win in Oklahoma City because we had home crowd. Definitely. So I, I meant to keep this chronological, but going back to that USC game, did any of you guys talk a little shit to OJ and be like, yeah, you, you should have been with us sure. after that game? Oh, Bill had a big mouth for them. Bill had a big – and for Taj. You know, Bill – I think Bill thought about USC pretty pretty, pretty hefty before he ended up doing the K-State thing because of hugs and stuff. But, you know, Bill grew up with OJ. So, Devon Jeffers and all those dudes was in our class. So, he really was – I think that was probably the most amped I got – I think Bill was that season. You know, Mike was at every – Mike was a, I'm going to get my 30 and 20 every night. There's nothing you can do about it. Like, I don't have to talk shit to you. I don't have to – I don't have to be riled up for this. This 30 and 20 is going to happen, big guy. There's nothing you can do about it. But Bill, certain nights against certain dudes, you can see Bill be like, oh, I'm about to I'm, – I'm finna destroy him. And that was one of those nights where Bill just was really on his – and, you know, being partners with OJ through high school and stuff, it it gave him that edge where he's like, man, I need to beat him. I need to show that I don't need you. Like, I, I picked K-State. I can do this. I didn't need to go with you to be successful. So Bill really played good that USC game. Yeah, definitely. And then – I, I gotta say one more thing about that game. One of my favorite pictures from that game is the picture of DK, the the white tiger, dunking on OJ, dunking on OJ. Right there with that goofy smile that he had, and that, that was tiger. That's my boy. Oh yeah, DK, so my boy, man, that was a that was a hell of a uh, a poster for him. Oh yeah, I'm I, sure he got that framed in the house. He he better he better have that you know right up in his man cave. So going back sure. to that junior year, you have that Xavier game. It's one of the most iconic games. In NCAA history, it's probably the most iconic K-State tournament game. You know, it goes to two overtimes. What's your memory of that entire game? Uh, and just what, what do you think about when you think back to that game? That was a clutch game, man. I, I always – whenever I think of that game, I think of the amazing performance of two Holloway. Like, the game before we played them, we were going under on two a lot. And he wasn't – we thought of him as more of a driver. Two Holloway played amazing in that game. Like he, and to this day, two still hoop. He still the buck. He played in. He playing in Europe right now. I ain't seen two everywhere, but two. I expected Jordan Crawford to do what Jordan Crawford did. I didn't expect Two Holloway to play as good as he played. And the reason we won is because of Dennis Clemente. Dennis Clemente had a spurt in that game where he just put us on his back. He didn't care. If I was playing good, he didn't care. If Kurt was rebounding, he didn't care what was going on. He said, hey, I'm not going home right now, so I'm going to make tough shots. I'm going to split screens. I'm going to do everything I can to keep us in the game until y'all wake up. And he did that. He kept us in the game until I finally made a shot towards the end of the uh, second half. And then in overtime, we took turns. We found out who was hot, whether it was Kurt, Jamar, uh, Denny, me. We took turns into that last few shots that I made to send us home. Yeah, so what was your guys' reaction on the floor when they did call that foul? It, I go back and watch that game. You guys are trying to foul Xavier almost the Way entire early. time. They don't call Way it. Early. And then, boom, what, what was your guys' reaction when they finally called it? And I think it was Chris Merriweather. What, what was his reaction in the huddle Chris, after they called that? Chris was such a great guy, man. Again, that's another, another relationship that you just build on for life, man. And Chris, you know, he was the type of guy that you were supposed to have on your team because Chris, again, will run out there and, and foul, charge. He'll do whatever it takes to help the team win, and it had nothing to do with talent. Chris just played hard. And we put him on the court to foul before they got to half court so that they only get two free throws and they had to foul us again. And since they didn't call it when all of that stuff happened, 
I wasn't sure what was going to happen after that. When, when we were standing on the free throw line at that point, I'm thinking like, damn, I hate, I hope that we don't lose this game because of a bad call and we tried to foul before. Yeah, but as we got into overtimes, like I say, we kept saying like, if we part of the greatest game, let's win. Brad, that's the thing that Brad Underwood kept saying the whole game, the whole overtime. Every time we came into the huddle, he would say, this is one of the greatest games ever. Do you want to win it or lose it? Do you want to just be a part of the greatest game ever, or do you want to win it so that whenever they talk about this game, they talk to, they say that you guys won? And that's all I kept thinking. That every time we went out of the huddle, second uh, the second overtime, first overtime, I'm thinking, we need to win this game. We don't want to be a part of a crazy game. And then every time they show it, you got to be like, damn, we lost that game. No, nah, we get to say we won. And to this day when I see Jordan Cropper, I always be like, yeah, you hit that 30-footer from the ribbon, but we won. We, we got the win. Well, and again, one of the greatest, you know, when when the pandemic canceled that NCAA tournament, what's one of the games that they showed in those spots? That double overtime game. Um, so I do have to ask this. It was a great. Oh, yeah, one hundred percent. Um, I do have to ask this though because this is one of the biggest what ifs amongst K State fans. Now I want to know your point of view, and I, I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. If this game, if you guys ice that out in regular in the in the regular, we beat we beat Butler. We beat Butler by twenty. Yep. So I'll give all the fans what they want. The uh, God honest truth, Butler had no chance against us if we weren't so gassed. And I don't make that excuse to say that we were tired and that's no, we were really tired. Like we finished that game at 12 30, 1 o'clock. We got after doing media and all of that BS, we got back to the hotel by two by about 1 30 in the morning. We had to have film again at night. And with your blood flowing, we didn't go to sleep to 5, 6 a.m. Have practice the next morning at 10. Then have more media stuff that whole next day. Then play that next day. It was tough on us. And the the little bit of energy we were missing was what Butler capitalized on. And again, that Butler team was really good. Matt Howard, Gordon Hayward, Sheldon Mack, Ronald North. They had good players as well because they went back the next year. So it wasn't a fluke. That was a good team. But I do think that if we're fully charged, that's a different game. Like I said, me and Clemente didn't make a shot until the end of the second half. Like, it, it just was a lot on the dime, missed some layups. You know, we didn't get much out of our bigs that night other than Kurt. You know, it, it just was a game that we didn't play like us. And I think that if we don't go into two OTs and it stored a lot of energy in that game, we have enough to come out and be overly aggressive against them and try to put them away early. Definitely. All right, before we keep I think going. we beat Duke match up with us well that year. We had a lot of athletes. And, and John Shire, my boy from Chicago, would have had to guard me or Clemente. And I don't think that was a good matchup for him. Nolan could only guard one of us. Yeah. Well, you know, again, uh, it'll continue to be maybe the biggest what if in K-State basketball history. Before we keep it going, just a reminder to everyone listening, we'll be going live Wednesday, the 16th at 7 p.m. Central Time Zone on ColorCast. Join us. And then I'll, I'll ask the question to all the boneheads, you know, what, how confident would you guys have been if you could redo that that team, Fresh Legs versus Butler? I think everyone listening to our show would say you guys run them out of the building. But I want to go to your senior year now. So uh, you're on the cover of Sports Illustrated, preseason ranked number three. ESPN comes for the 24-hour marathon of hoops for you guys to play Virginia Tech. What was that offseason, the buildup to that season like? Because, again, we saw what it was like with Beasley. But here you are already on the national stage, people talking about you guys being the Big 12 favorites. What was that offseason like, and how different was it compared to the other offseasons? That offseason was actually awful, to be honest with you. Out of my four years, 
that was the worst offseason we had. It was just so much going on. It was so much attention. It was so much what ifs. If I was coming back, was Frank coming back? Uh, Jim getting in trouble and not really him and Frank bumping heads. Kirk getting in trouble over the summer and him and Frank bumping heads. We started the season without Kirk. Then the suspense. It was just so much going into that season that it didn't allow us to have the same work ethic that we had coming into the year of my junior year. We had, again, now we got new guys who's coming into a team full of success that they had no success with. They had nothing to do with it. Your Freddie Asperillas and all these guys who, you know, they're getting all of this love, but they haven't done any work, you know? So it was it was so bad for us because you, we, you were putting expectations on guys that didn't do it. It was only four of us that actually had really played that year before that was on the team. Me, Kirk Jam, and Rod and Wally had had spot minutes, but Dom left, Chico left. The 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 core of that team wasn't the same. So, you know, Nick and Martavius getting bigger roles. It was just so much pressure on those guys. And and Frank was trying to figure out if he could keep me at the two to allow me to score, or if I had to go back to be a point. And that's where I feel like we had so much, so much static and problems in the beginning of that season because he wanted me to still be able to score, but I had to have the ball in my hand to score and create for the team to be good. And as we figured that out to the senior, that's when we started to be able to be good again. That's when we started to, to really find our rhythm. But in the beginning of that year and that offseason, we, we didn't know what offense we could run. We had to change our whole offense to spread that year. Because at first we thought we could keep running the same stuff like me and Clemente ran, but it's only me. It's not the same anymore. And Will was a hell of a player, but Will wasn't Clemente. Martavis wasn't Clemente. Nick was, those dudes all brought something different than what Clemente brought. So we couldn't run the same offense. And that's why spread ended up being good for us because it didn't put anybody in a position where they had to do more than they could do. If you got open to shoot the ball, pass it, cut, everybody keep moving. Definitely. So, so Frank's a genius in my mind. Well, Brad Underwood actually put that offense in, but Frank's a genius for allowing his assistant coach to change his whole offense and scrap like that. No coaches would do that right now. You wouldn't see a coach be like, oh, I just scrapped my whole playbook because my assistant coach told me that the shit I'm running not working. For Frank to allow Brad to do that, that takes a lot of balls, man. And especially in the middle of the year, end of the year, we was in Big 12 play when we scrapped our offense. No college is doing that. We scrapped our whole playbook and put in a whole new set. Like, that was impressive to me that Frank would allow Brad to do that. So that team was was very difficult, but when we found our niche and our rhythm, we got better. But that pressure and that that preseason hype and stuff, it wasn't good for that team. It, it did nothing but, but blow people's heads up that we didn't need our heads blown up. So you guys start off, you, you you win win some games, you face off, you know, versus number one Duke. Kyrie Irving plays one of his, like, handful of games as a uh, college kid ever. Uh, that doesn't go well. You take care of business first. You know, you get wa- uh, Washington State again. Then you have the collapse and just kind of lose to just a so-so Florida team. And then it's getting ready for UNLV in Kansas City, and that's when – kind of the news about the suspension for you and Kurt comes down. How did you find out about that? And how tough was it for you to watch that game specifically, uh, which they battled and it was an L in Kansas city. And then uh, I didn't watch it without you. I didn't watch that shit. I couldn't watch it. I turned it off. Me and Kurt was at my apartment. I couldn't watch it. That whole lead up, it was it was like, again, that it was just so much going on. And I want to tell everybody that's listening to this, 
Kyrie Irving was such a special talent watching him on film. And I was a big film guy in college. I, before I played somebody, I would watch their games three, four days in a row. Like, I'm just, I'm studying you, basically. You're like my next test. You're a quiz, so I'm studying you. And there was nothing on film that I could watch about Kyrie Irving that was going to stop that kid. Like, he was really special. But I I love the fact that to this day, people will be like, oh, Kyrie Irving ended Jacob Pullen's NBA dreams. By having 17 points on me, I was that good of a defender in college that everybody believed somebody killed me by scoring 17 points. I scored 40 on people. And scoring 17 points on me made people believe that he really ended my career. But, you know, I just want to give credit to him because he was a really special player and that Duke team was really good. And we weren't good, uh, to, to state that fact as well. Like I told you, we had a team that didn't know anything. We couldn't figure our offense out. We didn't know who was doing what. So Duke beating us didn't surprise me. Me playing bad surprised me. But going into that, you after that Florida game, we were on a flight back. And the whole thing that had happened that got us suspended had literally happened right before we left to Florida. And when we were on a plane back from Florida, Frank came and sat next to me and he said, uh, somebody from the NCAA is at the gym and you, Curtin Rodney, needs to go to the gym once we get back or whatever. And he was like, it don't sound good. He was like, and you know, I'm always going to try to protect you. He's like, but I don't think I could do anything in this situation. So when we go find out what's going on, and all of the bullshit that happened, which was, it really, again, to this day, NCAA is screwing kids because of all of this BS, but because we got a discount on some clothes because somebody liked us and because K-State fans are loyal and, and love K-State players, and somebody said, hey, you broke college kids, deserve a discount on some clothes that you want to wear, we had to get suspended. But that going into that UNLV game, and once we found out we were suspended, my heart was just broke. I, I don't miss basketball games like – I played through injuries, all of that good stuff. So for me to have to sit out and watch basketball games, I was devastated. It was so hard. Like I said, I couldn't watch the game. I had to turn it off. Halftime, we were losing, and I can't do anything. I told Kurt, I was like, you can watch it, man. I got to go. I can't watch this. But our team and how they fought, like I said, Frank Frank loved those guys because of that. Because even with through adversity, they still was fighting. And when the blow-up happened, you could see it getting ready to happen. Like you could see us, you could see the wheels falling off our car. As we were driving slowly, trying to get to the side of the road for a flat tire, and you just keep seeing tires pop off, you know, Duke game, then Florida game, then the UNLB game. Now you got me and Kurt suspended for games. Like, and as we got back, you know, again, it's like starting over again. It, it's really tough. And that's my senior season was a tough year for me. Losing, I, I'm too competitive to just lose after having success. We just were winning against all these teams. I, you know, before my senior year, I never lost to Colorado before my senior year. That was the first time I had lost to Colorado. I lost them three times in a row. Corey Higgins still give me shit to this day about that. Well, and, and that's the wild thing because if you look, if you look at that Colorado at that team, team, it's not Colorado a great Colorado team. team. Yeah, that's one of the best Colorado teams. Corey Burke, I mean, Alec Burke, Corey Higgins in your backcourt, Andre Robinson, Marcus Rudolph, like that team, Levi Canute, they had good players. That team should have been in the NCAA tournament my senior year, by the way. It, that was it, a it really looked, good team. Yeah, it looks like they went 8-8, eight and 24-14, eight, uh, and 14, finished fifth. So, yeah, they, they were just right outside of there. Um, yeah, that, that team should have made the tournament. But, like I say, I hadn't lost to, to the Nebraskas and Colorados. I just – in my heart, I felt like I should never lose to them. K-State is better than them. We should never lose to them. That's just how I felt in my heart. So after we lost to Colorado at home my senior year, I came in the locker room and I was 
I was happy. I was so mad. Frank couldn't get a word out. I was motherfucking everybody. Man, you motherfuckers suck, man. I, I've never lost to these dudes. And you motherfuckers in here smiling. I don't want to play. I told Frank, I was like, I don't want to play with none of these motherfuckers. I cut the whole fucking team. I, I don't never want to. If I have to play with guys that's happy to lose to Colorado, I don't want to fucking play no more. And literally, that's when I went out in the press conference and said, I don't, I'm not playing in the NIT. But the next, that next week in practice, I fucking destroyed them. Every person that guarded me in practice, I was telling Frank, I'm going to score on him. Fuck whatever play you call him. I'm going to show you that these guys aren't good. If Clemente was here, he'd be running circles around people. That's what I used to be saying in practice. And every one of those guys picked it up. Martavius started going crazy in practice. Rodney started going crazy in practice. Even Will Sprout, everybody, the energy in practice after we lost to Colorado changed. And every game after that, I was I was happy to say that these the dudes with me, they gonna fight with me. I'm ready to play with them. And when we lost to Colorado the next time at Colorado, before we played Kansas, I remember I got picked for game by Alec Burke. And again, to this day, I'll tell Frank about this all the time. It's the worst time I ever called in my career. Alec Burke picked me, went and got a layup. We took the ball out. We're down two. We come back down. Frank calls a timeout as I make a three, right, that would have won the game before we, like, it would have put us up one. And I remember to this day, I still tell Frank, that's an awful timeout. You should have known I was shooting that ball after getting, getting the ball stolen from me. And then we lose that game, and then we go play Kansas. And the rest of that year is history because we started to go on the streak, and everybody on the team realized we have to do whatever it takes to win. Rodney was picking it up. Like I said, we just had guys really do it. Wally, everybody was doing their job. Well, Wally was gone at that point. Wally had left by that time. But Rodney, J.O. was playing. That's who was playing so much better. J.O. was playing so much better. J.O. found his niche, and he was really giving us what we needed him to do at that point. From So we went from J.O., Kirk, Jam. We had one more big. Ojale used to play some. That's who used to play. Yeah, Vic, Vic Ojale. That's a yeah, name I haven't Vic heard in a while. Good guy. Vic was Vic was a guy in practice again, like Chris Merriweather did his job. Never, never complained about not playing. But whenever Frank put him on the court, he was ready to play. Definitely. So you brought up that KU game. They were number one at that point. Uh, K State fans call it the Valentine's Day massacre because if you look back at most of the wins K State gets over KU, they're a little bit closer. You guys absolutely blitz them. It has to be one of your favorite individual games going off against them. Just the game was never in doubt. Walk me through that game and then also kind of compare the feeling of getting that win and comparing it to the win you got your freshman year as well. My, my freshman year, it, was, it wasn't as much on me. That year, after just losing to Colorado and saying I'm not going into the NIT, and again, I I called my brother after I got picked for game and we lost to Colorado. And I remember being in, in my room and told my brother, like, man, I just fucked our season over. Like, that's it. And he was like, nah, he was like, Monday. He was like, it's your chance to redeem yourself. Like, put that behind you. He was like, you got to be the best player on the court. You got to make sure your team win. He was like, you want to go to the tournament? He was like, this is a win that'll get you into the tournament. And he was like, you, you, same as the Wisconsin game. He's like, you, if you're ever going to go out, you go out with your guns blades. He was like, I'd rather you go out and be 0 for 15 than go out and be 1 for 6 and you lose the game like that. He was like, so if you're going to lose, go out with your guns blazing. Go get shots up. In the KU game that morning, I was late for shoot around. Frank was mad at me. And I remember telling him, I was like, if I don't if I don't produce tonight, you know, go to the media and tell them. Like, it was my fault. You know, I can take the, I can take the, the brunt of the pain. Like, I'm a senior. 
It's my team. All of this hype shit was on me. Like, you can go tell them that. And once the game started, I remember locking in and thinking to myself, I'm about to destroy these guys. Every Anything that Bill Self calls, whatever, I'm about to go crazy. He's going to have to fucking triple team me to get the ball out of my hand. And once the first pull-up went through the net, I remember thinking to myself, I'm on fire. <laughs> the first one went through the net, I was like, I'm on fire. Nothing they could do that night. And it just it was one of those nights where the ball just went through the basket on everything. Yep. You guys end up completely going nuts. Uh, another game that I, I just want to touch on real quick, it's that game versus Missouri. If, if I recall correctly, that's when you scored like 10 of like the game's first like 13 points. And that's the infamous video of you standing at midcourt screaming, this is my motherfucking house. Exactly. I, I was right there in the first first row in ICAT watching that happen. Uh, that final game that you get versus Missouri again, you've talked about your hate. We, we've talked about the KU games, but that Missouri game there, they came in ranked number 20. They were super hot that game as well. You know, how good was it going off on the, you know, the team that you hated most one last time in Bramlage? Before that game, center court, referee like captains can shake hands. I actually went to put my hand out to Kim English. Marcus smacked my hand down. And I remember when he smacked my hand down, I said, I got you, motherfucker. We'll see. And we walked away. And I remember telling Kurt, I said, give me the ball, bro. I said, I don't care what the first play is Frank called. Give me the ball. And actually, Kurt or Jam started the game with a layup. They got the first two points. And then after that, I scored the next 12, I think. I had like two threes, a pull-up. And I remember, like you said, that timeout. And I, and I, I said it because Marcus was walking past me. Well, Kim, somebody was walking past me. I was like, this is my motherfucking house. Y'all can't come in here and win. Y'all won't come in here and win. I never lost to Missouri at home. I never beat Missouri at Missouri, but I never lost to Missouri at home. Oh, man. I, I you know, I, I miss playing them in conference. I miss seeing them twice a year. I, I miss seeing Nebraska. Oh, cool. uh, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting. The new the Big, old Big 12. 12. The whole Big 12 was good. But I wish that they played it like the new Big 12 with round robins. Oh, yeah. I wish that we wish that we could get a home and away with every team. That would have been great. I love the new set, the new format for that. Well, it sucks because I think, I think that's going away. I think that's going it's away. going away? Yeah, because OU and uh, Texas are going to the SEC, and then they're adding uh, uh, four teams to get up to 12 again. So I think that's going away. OU and Texas going to the SEC now? Yeah, both of them are going. Wow, man, the whole Big 12 has changed, man. It, re it really has. It really has. Um, I do want to ask a final question kind of about your senior year. You stay hot. You set the all-time scoring record in a game where you guys do lose versus Wisconsin. Um, just kind of take me first through uh, getting that record and what that means. K-State has such a great history of players, first-team All-Americans, conference players of the year. You look up to the rafters where your jersey hopefully will be soon and you scored more than any of those guys, what does it mean to have that claim over such historic players in a historic program? And it's a blessing, man. It, it truly is because coming into Kansas State, I did my research and I, and I knew about Mitch Richmond. I, I learned about Steve Henson. I learned about Chucky Williams. I learned uh, about Chucky, uh, about Mike, uh, Mike uh, Davis, Mike Evans and Chucky Williams. Uh, I met Mr. K. State like when I first got there I met Ernie like it was just it was so much history that I didn't know about until I got there and when I got there it was just like wow like it, I was really in shock of, of how good K-State always was so when we started being good again it was like it was it was really normal to some people some people expect like this is the expectations of K-State 
So I was excited that the crowd was back in. I was excited to see 13-5 in Bramlage every game. We could be playing Arkansas Pine Bluff. The number tw- we number 15 in the country, though, so it's going to be a 13-5 that gym. Like, my junior senior year, I was so happy seeing all of the fans and stuff. That was, like, that was the the the, the, the kiss of the Wildcat and stuff because it was, like, playing in that gym every time at home, I could always look over there. I could be two for 12. When I make that third one and the crowd go crazy, I'm on fire now because I got 13,000 people cheering me on, like, so when I broke the record, it was it was it was something I did want to know. The whole tournament media was telling me like, oh, 28 points or 20, like, and I started telling like, don't tell me how many points I am away. Cause I want to I want to focus on winning the game. If I break the record, great. When I do it, I'm sure y'all will tell. And the Wisconsin game, the play that I broke the record on is actually my favorite play as a kid. Allen Iverson on NBA 2K used to do that move all the time. And as a kid that was right-handed, when I first learned that move. I used to do that move all the time. If I call one of my brothers right now and ask him what's my favorite move, he's going to say that Allen Iverson fake behind the back pass. So being able to do it to break the record, like anytime I see the video now, I'm like, man, that's just like, that's an omen to me. Like I, I broke a, the school scoring record doing my favorite behind the back, fake behind the back pass move. Like, so having that record, and that's not safe right now because I can say Nigel Pack is a walking bucket. So having that record that's very unsafe, was a uh, was a great feeling, and if, if he do knock it off, I'm gonna be happy for him, and I'm a, I hope he feel the same way because the dudes in front of me, the Mitch Richmans, the Steve Hensons, the Skia Jones, the walking buckets at Cartier Martins that walked through that school that used to put up a lot of buckets for me to be able to beat them out, I scored a lot of buckets, and I'm proud. Of that. <laughs> Definitely, looking back on the senior year, and this is actually going to be the last question about your playing career. Do you have any sort of regrets about how that senior year went? Do you think you guys should have been able to go a little deeper, maybe contend in the Big 12? Or you talked about it at the front that, hey, you guys weren't ready early on. Do you think it was maybe kind of a fair season for you? Or what, what do you look back and think of with the results that year? That year, I, we could have did better in the Big 12 tournament. We Again, we just got matched up with Colorado, who was our KU from the year before because we just couldn't beat them. They were really good and a really a matchup problem for us because Alec Burke and, and Higgins were tough. But my senior year, the way we finished, I think we finished as a team and did good. Of course, I felt like we could have did better. Craziest shit about the Wisconsin game is the day before in shoot around, we used to do a drill called four on four plus one, where it's five, five offensive players versus four defensive players, and you got to scramble around and get stops. And they put the shot clock up. <clears throat> You can't get out of that drill without two stops. Nobody on the team missed a shot against my team on defense that day. I was in in the NCAA tournament. They put the clock up for practice. You get 57 minutes, 58 minutes of practice. We started that drill with 50 minutes in practice. My team did not get out of that drill the whole practice. And Frank didn't cut no shortcuts. Frank didn't say, oh, it's Jake team. We got to play tomorrow. I'll let him out. We was in that drill. Will Spradlin, Rodney McGruder. Martavius Irvin, Devon Peterson, Javal Miles, nobody missed a shot. We didn't get two stops. We didn't get one, I don't think, that whole day. And to go into the next game and nobody make a fucking shot, my heart was broken. The only person that made a field goal in the first half was me and Kurt. And I think in the end of the game, I think only like three or four other people scored the whole game. So for everybody not to miss, going into my last game, for everybody to miss, that's a heartbreak. And I got to say, I scored 30, but... I would have preferred scoring 22 and 
and having 10 assists and everybody make a shot and we win that game. Because oh, I really man. think that that was going to be a revenge year because we was going to get we, – we had uh, Butler beat Pitt the next round and we would have got Butler in the second – after that after that Wisconsin game. Then we would have got somebody else. And I would have been able to play the teams that put me out of the tournament going into that. And I really wanted to beat Wisconsin. I got a, a pure hate for Wisconsin. Well, I, I never want to see them in, in, in K-State's bracket because, again, they, they ended the career of, you know, you, Mike, Bill, Clint Stewart. You know, Hoskins yeah. didn't suit up for you guys, but he's on the bench. You know, it. Uh, I hate Wisconsin. I'm, I'm, really, I'm, 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 I'm excited to play them. I really wanted to play them because, like I said, I was like, man, I get to beat Wisconsin, then I'll get Butler next. I'm just going to knock off everybody that ended my NCAA tournaments before. Like, this going to be a real – it's going to be a story. I might get some headlines after this. Didn't uh, work out that way. No, no, it didn't. But, but again, it, it was an amazing career. I, and again, I think for my money, the greatest basketball player case it's ever had. But I do want to talk about some stuff about the current state of the program. Uh, my first question is, we've heard it throughout this entire show. You've been so close with Frank, uh, with Brad, you know, Matt figure. I think he, he does Matt still have a job, head coaching yeah, job? Yeah, he's at uh, Austin Peay. Yeah. Okay. So again, elite coaching staff. They all leave with Frank to go to South Carolina. How has it been being a K-State fan? You have Ema in your Twitter bio. We see you tweeting during the games, but how much did it hurt to see Frank leave and being, and how do you kind of juggle your loyalty to Frank, but also being a Wildcat? Well, when it happened, I was young when Frank left. I was still 22, 23 when Frank ended up leaving because he left the year after, then the next year after I left. I I reacted like a 23-year-old. And to this day, whenever K-State loses, everyone goes and gets that tweet of what I said about Bruce Weber at the time. And at that time, I, I did feel that way. And, and, and God honest in my heart, I felt that way. And it wasn't, it wasn't more so of a, I didn't think that he was a good coach. I just didn't think he was the right fit at that time for K-State coming off of the energy and the way that K-State basketball was playing. The way that that the the culture that Frank had built didn't match the culture of that hire at that time. And that's how I felt about it. And that's how I tweeted about it. But as years have gone on and Bruce has had success and he's had his downs as well, but after guys that I know vouching for him, like Rodney and guys that played for him and Tay and Shane them working for him. I've, we built a relationship and, and I've learned, the, I've, I've gained the respect for him and his coaching style. Now, do I agree with all of his principles and stuff like that? Not all the time. No, but that's everybody's opinion, you know, but has he done a good job at times with those guys with the Barry Browns and the Dean with, you know, it's not easy to recruit nowadays. So when you get a good group of guys like he had with the end of freight guys and then with Barry and Dean, them, he's had success. So you only can really judge him off of that. It's, it's hard to judge him when, when the talent level isn't great. So, you know, it, I think that my loyalty is always, like I said, it's like seeing your parents divorce. K-State is my mother and I love her. And no man she ever dates other than Frank will ever be great <laughs> to me. But I'm going to support her. I'm going to, I'm going to be behind her. I'm going to support. I'm going to find a way to, to like the guy that she's dating. And if another guy comes along in the relationship, I'm going to find a way to like him, but I'm going to always rock with my pops with, with Frank. I'm going to, I watch South Carolina to this day when they on TV, I watch them play. And I, and I, I see the, the, the growth that he's making, but 
K-State is my school. That's that's where I went, and that's where my loyalty is always going to be. It's going to be with K-State and Frank. So that's why my comment has always been the same when people ask me, oh, why they ain't hang your jersey up? Uh, they're they, they going to hang my jersey up, but Frank's going to be there. Ain't no way I'm doing it unless Frank and Brad and Tay and my guys are there because that's why I was at K-State. I don't care if Bruce Pearl is coaching there when I'm there. I, I, hope that he's, I hope that we have a great relationship, but Frank Martin and Delonte Hill, and Matt Figger and Brad Underwood, Scott Greenwald, those guys got to be there for me. My teammates, my Jam, Kurt, you no, know, my Tate, my guys got to be there. Like, and that's just out of respect for them because nothing I do in my career is without them. I have no chance of having the success that I had without any of those guys that I named. Teammates, players, staff, uh, managers. A lot of them are still working at K State. You know, Josh McCowan is is working in the in athletic in the athletic office, like. I need those guys there because those are the guys that I love. Those are I want the fans that when I played with the the I hope that the student section that when I was there I hope that they can get in. I want them in there, like because those are the people that was there with me that enjoy those moments. That anytime I see a video or anything, I think of those people. I think of the my guy that had the fear the beer shirt first. That when nobody with the front row was wearing fear the beer shirts and nobody was talking about it, they was on that. Those was my guys. So. When I come back and they want to do something, I want them there. I need all of those people there. That's how I feel about the situation. Definitely. And that was actually going to be one of like the, the ending questions about it. So I, I don't even have to ask that. And I think something that you don't see uh, with a lot of superstars is that loyalty to everyone else. You know, you see other people's jerseys going up at rafters, other places a- across the nation. Everyone's like, well, why haven't we been able to get Jake Paul? Why haven't we been able to do the fact that you want all your people there, I think says so much about your character and really the family in the connection that you built with your people there during your time at K-State. And I think that's awesome to hear. Man, it was, but it wasn't, like I said, it was everybody else, from the fans to the, the people that were serving us pregame food. Like everybody made me feel, and like I'm the youngest. I got two older brothers, three older sisters, like, I'm a mama's boy. So me being away from my family and being able to feel like I was brought into another family was the reason that I could, I had no problem choosing to stay for my senior year. It wasn't a difficult choice. It wasn't me fighting like, oh man, do I need I need to enter the NBA. It was stay another year. Hell yeah, I want to stay another year. Frank, you stay in another year? Because now if you leave it, then yeah, I might enter the draft. Like, you know, but Everybody staying, I want to be here. Like, why wouldn't I want to be here? There's nothing running me out of Kansas because this is home. Once I go from living at home to being able to come here and make this a home and feel like I got a family around me and feel like the people care about me here, I want to stay held. If we was getting paid in college, I might not ever left college. If they decide NIL deals and make money, I might have been a seven-year graduate assistant or something after I finished my first year. I might not even went overseas to play basketball because I would have been happy being in Kansas. Like, I would have been able to provide and stuff. I would have been fine. Like, but the the greatest part of, of of being in that, like you say, is the is the email feeling is that every time, no matter what, like I could be anywhere. If a K State fan see me, they always come up to me and speak. Like that's that's the, I, I've seen people. I got I know people now that play ball overseas, and they they go into different states and see fans and stuff, and it's just like, oh, you know, oh yeah, he went to his college. Man, K State fans see me. Hey, you want a drink? You want to you want to get something to eat? Like. I could be any state. Somebody got some purple and they realize who I am. Man, you want a beer? You want let's, let's go sit down. 
that's love. Like college, every college don't do that. I be around people, famous people from different schools, but to get that type of love, that's Wichita. Any when I go, I tell my daughter all the time. When I go in Kansas, daughter, I'm kind of famous. We might have to take some pictures and stuff. Like they actually love me here. We could be other cities and country places and stuff, and you know, we just normal people. But if I go in Kansas, Wichita, Kansas City, anywhere, and we spot some purple, I'm kind of famous around there. Well, and that's I a love, great feeling. I, I love that. And final thing before we end with some uh, kind of like on brand for our show, just some kind of uh, fun questions ended up, uh, you know, the arena isn't rocking like it used to outside of a couple games a year. Um, they're, they're on the bubble right now. Um, hopefully they get in, but if they don't, that'll be three straight years without them getting to the tournament. Um, I'm not going to try to force you into saying coaches changes or anything, but whenever the time comes that, something new happens for K-State basketball. What do you want the powers that be to focus on? What, what needs to happen in the future to get it back to what it was, you know, during the height of your time, even hell during Bruce had some awesome years where it was, you know, three, 13,000. So I'm not trying to sell that short, but what, what are the powers that be? What does the leadership need to know? What did they need to find for the next guy? Whenever that happens to get it back to that crazy atmosphere, game in, game out. You gotta find it. You gotta you gotta find the culture. You gotta you gotta establish that. Cause once you establish that and the fans believe in that, then they get behind it. And it is now it's the the whole place is it's the culture. Like I say, the octagon of doom turned into that because everybody believed when we were pressing full court, y'all were screaming the whole time. So it, it's a connection, you know. And the fans feed off of what Frank was giving out that energy that made everybody like, man. If you don't think that's a foul, we don't think that's a foul. Everybody's mad. Like it, it, you have to find that energy, that that connection to everybody. It, it, like you say, it has to be a family. It has to be. If you want to go younger, fine. You take a chance. You know, go younger. Bring in somebody that you know is going to come in, and the fans going to be like, man, we we're behind him. We're behind the, the the guy. What he's coaching. What he's doing. The what he's telling them to do. Once once you start to lose the fans, and and you you have a a uh, culture that's split where half is saying, oh, it's okay that, you know, we, we win some games and we sometimes do good. And you got half saying, man, we, we can't stand for this. We don't like losing. We, we need a change. It's, it's hard. It's, it's hard to win because, like you say, some nights is packed, some nights is not, depending on the game. Like, we could have been losing. We could have lost three in a row. We lost three in a row my senior year. It still was 13-5 in that gym. We went from top 10 to not ranked. It still was 13-5 in that gym because they believed in the culture. They believed that we were going to turn it around. And if the people don't believe, they stop showing up and you split up the family. And that's what you can't do. If you want to win, it has to be everybody together. It has to be every K-State fan everywhere believing that this, everyone when we were there believed that this team was a team. Frank had guys that was going to do what Frank needed them to do to win. When that was when Jacob Pullen was there, and when Jacob Pullen left, and that's why, like I say, that's why Bruce had continued success right away because you're walking in the guys that already had a coach. He didn't have to come in here and teach them how to to, to deny basketball or, or to take a charge. Rodney Magruder knew how to take a charge already. Martinez Irving was going to take a charge, and that rubbed off on that next group of guys. But then once the coaches started to fade, he had to get it. He had to bring his own, and that's when Barry them established. You had those Barry and Dean and those guys establish a culture. 
and Cartier and they just stuff. And now it, you have to find it. And like I said, Nigel has a chance to be good, but they have to find a coach. And if the, if they're going to make a change, then they need to find a guy that's going to be like, man, Nigel, I want you in here. I need I need you as part of this culture. I need you to make them all believe. Because if not, then you're going to go through another swamp. And as somebody that wants to get into coaching and stuff like that, I know how important it is for guys to believe what this guy is telling you. If you don't believe that that coach and that staff is telling you something that's going to help you become successful, you're not going to listen. You're not going to do what they say. You're not going to give 100%. It's impossible. And that's why you see kids nowadays that some play hard, some don't. Because they, they're not bought in. They want to be somewhere else. Everybody on our team used to be bought in, all 12 guys. It didn't matter who. Like I say, Victor Ojeley, Chris Merriweather, walk-ons, they got on the court. They knew what they were doing. They had that energy that we that, that everybody had. It, it was it was contagious. The fans had it. The, the announcers had it. Wyatt them used to be going crazy on the sideline. Like, that, that shit was contagious, man. It was the fever that everybody in Manhattan had. Big games, people's out there sleeping in front of Bramlage. Like, that's what we could count on. They're not doing that now, and that's because it's split. We had to get it back together. And like I said, like you say, if they make a change, they got to make sure that it's what everybody wants. Not Don't just hire for, for convenience or to be cheap or something. No, if you want to win and you want the program to be like the program should be, like football and everything else, you got to hire. You got to hire to – to what we want, to what everybody wants. And that's not saying get Brad or it, it might not be that. It, it could be anybody. It just has to be the right guy that brings in a culture and, and everybody believes in. Because I'm a, re- I'm, a, I'm a watch regardless. I'm a fan now. <laughs> I'm a big fan. Well, I love it. So the first question, so, so now we're going to do some of the fun ones because you already mentioned it. Tay was first, then it was J.O., then it was Shane, then it was Kurt right now. Kurt's there. So my question is, when are we going to see Coach Pullen walking around in, you know, the lavender jumpsuits that they got now? Those jumpsuits fire. I wish I could get one of those. I would definitely be wearing one of those if I was coaching. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I got a few more years in ball. I mean, I still, I'm still competitive right now. I still I get upset when I have a bad game still or I lose to somebody, so – I can't walk away right now because it would be bad for, for my coaching. I'll be in practice really trying to compete against those kids, not coaching. I'll be in there trying to say something to me. Now I'm trying to score 30 and I'm not trying to help you get better. So I, once, once that part of me is done, the first thing I definitely want to do is, is get into coaching. And I've expressed that to Frank, to Brad. Me and Brad's had a long time. Hell, Chris Mack at Louisville, we had talks this summer because I got a nephew that's been playing AAU. So I've been on the circuit watching games. And I've been running into all these coaches, Brian Gregory at South Florida, and guys that recruited me. And, you know, they understand uh, about my basketball IQ and stuff. So they're interested in me coaching right away as well. But, you know, I would love when I'm done plan to to be able to coach in Manhattan that would be a, a dream of mine one day to be able to be on that staff someday and if Shane never gets the job I'm sure he'll give me a call <laughs> man I, I tell you what Shane was that head coach for Texas and he, and he he had him going in that first half and then he ran out of guys because of COVID but uh and we've had Shane on the show he, he's a smart guy I love Shane Southwell man I, I love Shane since the day he walked on campus man and and my love for New York guards has always been high but Shane being his size and his ability from day one, I always I love his IQ, man. And I'm I'm so happy for the success he's having as a coach. I, I can't wait for him to get his, his own job. 
because I know that he's really into it. He's really doing what he's loved to do. And he's good at it right now. I, I think that he's going to have a lot of success as a head coach. Definitely. Kim English is currently a head coach. If once you're coaching, you go up against Kim English, will you shake his hand before the game? For sure. Man, me and Kim have been so cool since those Missouri days. That's why I told you it's so funny that the hate we have for each other out of a competitive nature to now I played in Europe with Marcus Demi. He was there when my, my oldest daughter was born. He, uh, Mike Dixon, I helped, uh, I've been, we've been so close in Turkey together. He had a kid. Kim, we've had so many endless conversations on, on just bumping into each other at gyms. All of those guys, like I say, it's just, we talk about it. We talk about how, how it was so energetic and how we just had, it was so much passion between not wanting to lose to each other. And like and me and Mark and Denver was teammates. The first day of practice, we didn't pass each other the ball. This is like, <laughs> this seriously, I'm 24. I'm in Italy. And I had just left. I had played in Barcelona. So I think I'm a big shit. I come in there from China and I look at the roster and I see Mark and Denver on the roster. And I'm like, oh, it was a couple of Elston Turner that had went to Texas A&M, Delroy James. I had knew him already. So when I'm in a locker room looking at the roster, I see Mark and Denver and I'm Dale sitting next to me. And I'm like, oh, well. I'm like, Mark and Devin on this team? I'm like, you're going to have a fucking fight before I pass him the ball. He comes in the locker room. He sees me. He don't say nothing. I don't say nothing. We go out on the court. Now, the coach has no idea. He, English is not even good. He's Italian. So, the I'm starting point guard. He started shooting guard. The coach calls something, and I just look him up. So, the coach is like, baffled the why I won't pass him the ball. Next time, it's like a two-on-one break. Marcus, look me up. So, we the whole practice, we don't pass each other the ball. After practice, we the last two guys in the locker room. He looked at me, I looked at him, and I was like, hey, do we need to fight to get this out of the way? I'm like, because if not, I was like, we're going to have to pass each other the ball at some point. We're going to ruin each other's money. And nobody want to lose money at this point in our lives. So he was like, nah, man, that shit was college, man. He was like, fuck it, it's over with. I was like, fuck it, it's over with. We good. Since then, that's my boy to this day, man. <laughs> Perfect. So this is the most on-brand question for our podcast. During your four years at K-State, you wore 11 different uniforms for K-State. What was your favorite one that you wore? My favorite one? Yeah. That's a tough question to say my favorite one. We did. We had some fire jerseys. Oh, yeah. I mean, we you came in with the cat scratching, you had the racing Man, stripes. Cat and was fire. I, w- I wish we had the cat scratches my senior year, not the baggy ones, but the fitted ones. The black cat scratchers was OD. And I remember having the black uh, Aqua 8s that we, me and Mike both wore at Madison Square Gardens. Those are, were highly up there. The lavenders we had my junior year, the two-tones was, was OD because we didn't think we was going to get those. But the big game grays was probably like the ones that I was the most thirsty about because I had heard we were going to get those jerseys. And Andy had showed me like a sketch. So I saw all like the designs on the back and stuff. So I was like, really hyping up to my teammates I'm like oh when we get these when we wear the big game grades uh i think it was a big monday we broke those uh, i'm like yep, first when we wear those yeah exactly right baylor game because I, I was like when we wear those i'm gonna have some purple kobe's and these shit's gonna look so crazy and we broke them out i remember my brother texting me he's like man those jerseys is crazy <laughs> i was so hyped i think the big game grades might be my favorite jersey to be See, I'm, being I'm crushed. I'm crushed that they don't have gray ones anymore. You know, I, I man, like the lavender. I, I, they, I like I the white scripts. I miss the gray. I like the lavenders. The lavender. If we had the lavenders they have now, the all lavender, I think I would have liked it more. But the lavender and purple, 
and we had like the cutoff, but like theirs is more fitted. They got the best stuff now. Now they're getting the fire stuff. Like our stuff was still, we weren't the elitists of Nikes yet. We were, we were still stepping into it. Yeah. All right. So I, I want your all-time starting five of guys you played with at K-State. Obviously, you, you're on there, but I, who's your next four? Who, who are you rolling with? Well, you know, my point guard got to be Chico. So if, if Chico my point, I'm the two. Rod my three. And I love Dom. Dom will be coming off the bench because Dom used to just give us so much. But first two years of Rod, he just used to have so many big moments as a freshman. I used to always tell Frank, like, just give him more minutes. Just try. Like, and I know, and Dom used to play good. Dom used to be so good right defensively and rebounding and stuff like that. He really, he used to really fit our demeanor. And he, Frank hated Rod defense our freshman year, but I used to tell him, like, you hated my defense freshman year, but you used to try to find minutes for me. Like, you got to find minutes for Rod. Rod, that KU game, the M1, the Texas game, he played so good at Big Money. Like, Baylor at Baylor, Rod made a big three. Like, he used to just do so much his freshman year that I used to be so happy for him. The Bigs is the toughest one to pick because playing with Bill and Mike is a cheat code. But playing with Curtin Jim was – was uh, was what I needed they were they were my bigs like I had them for longer but you telling me just to give you five so you know bees is my five of course and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna play small ball with bees at center but at that other forward spot it's so hard to pick between Bill Jam and Kurt I'm gonna make you do it the other two can be on the team they can come off the bench but I need I need I need it Oh man, this is really tough one, man. You know, I played with Bill overseas again. Like I played with, I played, Bill athletically is by far the most athletic person that I've ever played with in my life. And Mike is a freak athlete as well. Kurt Kelly is the, the most skilled big man I've ever played with. He can, he's ambidextrous almost. He can jump hook with either hand, he can pass with either hand, he can dribble. Like Kurt was, was phenomenal with me at times. I used to watch Curtin all. But Jim, the dog that Jim brought us that junior year off the bench and get six men of the year, he was unguardable, man. <laughs> Jim used to pop. He used to post. He would block shots. I'm going to go with Jim at the forward to be. Hey, no. no, because he was, no, no, no. He was a six man of the year. So Jim is coming off my bench. For me to get that type of Jim that I would want, I would have to bring him off my bench. I couldn't, I couldn't start him because senior year when we started him at times, he needs to see the game first when we were younger. He needed to see how the, how they were calling it and how the pace of the game was going. And that's what made him better our junior year. So I'm going to put Kurt as my fourth. I'm going to put Kurt and Mike so that I can really have a good team. And I think that I would beat anybody and pick up with those five. Hey, I, I would love to see it. Who is, if you could play with, if you could have added anyone that you didn't get to play with at K-State, so any of those guys that came after you if you could have added one more of those guys to oh, your sure. junior and senior year who are you who are you picking i'm picking barry brown it ain't even a close one barry brown coming with me that's that if if i had barry brown the way he played his junior senior year after i lost chico and that was my shooting guard whoo, it would have been hell to pay in that big 12 barry was a dog barry reminded me a lot of barry 
Barry got in defensively. He, he was always in attack mode. He never – he didn't settle. If he took a jump shot, it's because he wanted to shoot a jumper because he always felt like he could beat you. And that's what I loved about Barry watching him play when I used to watch seven games. He was always trying to get downhill. And I like Cam. And I like Cartier. I like I liked his team. But Barry gave me a lot of Jacob pulling vibes, the way he used to climb into people. He took pride defensively. Like, he, he beat my steals record. Like, he – he really used to do the things that I used to be like, that's the that's winning shit right there. That's the shit that is not always in the stat sheet, but that's winning shit. Yeah, so we actually have had Bruce Weber on the show. One, one of the first things he said was, yeah, the first day Barry Brown came into the building, he said, I want to break Jacob Pullen's all-time steal record. So he did get you. <laughs> and then he the final – and I used to steal the ball from people. I used to beat you at half court. So for Barry to get my steal record, I was I was really proud of that one because he used to really lock up on defense the way that I would. Yeah. The, the final question I got for you, every every K-State fan in the world agrees you need to be up in the rafters. Anyone else that's talked about, there's, there's a lot of conversation, there's debate about anyone else. No one else is 100%. They need to be in the rafters except for Jacob Pullen. If you had a vote, who else needs to be in the raft? 100% Michael Beasley. That, that's not – if you say 100% Jacob Pullen and you don't say 100% Michael Beasley, I'm disappointed because if other schools are hanging up guys for one year and Michael, the one year of basketball that Michael Beasley played, that's better than one year of basketball I've ever seen in my life. And I've watched Kevin Durant that year. I've seen guys – the fact that Michael Beasley didn't get – Player of the year that year was solely because Kevin Durant had just won the year before. Because even though North Carolina was good my freshman year, they didn't win a national championship. And and Tyler Hansborough had no type of year that Michael Beasley had. For Mike to keep us ranked at times, that he came out scoring 30 and 20. He had a double-double every game but two. That's unheard of. He was a walking double-double. There will never be another basketball player to dominate as efficiently and do it on a team full of freshmen like that. Like even Ann Davis, the year he played at, at Kentucky, it was a good year. But statistically, it was nothing close to what Michael was doing. Like Mike, Mike was, uh, he was a, that's a phenom. The 26 points on 50%, 56% shooting, 40 from the three, and he's the center. What the fuck? That doesn't happen. Like, no, there's no way Michael Beasley doesn't go in the Raptors. If they're hanging my jersey up and Mike isn't up there already or next to me, I don't want to be there either because that's somebody that deserves to be. Kevin Durant's in the Raptors. Dudes is getting hung up for half a season and one, two years, not even scoring close to what Mike scored. That one year, and he was an All-American. He did everything. He's Big 12 Player of the Year, All-American, freshman of the year. Like, he... He had 44 against Baylor. Nobody else. Mike had 44. Bill had 30-something, and I had two. And I think only one other person scored that game. That's unheard of. We played a basketball game two on five and almost won. That's not real. And he don't deserve his jersey. I'm going to I'm gonna cut this sound clip, and anytime someone tries to tell me that they don't think Mike should be up there, because those people are out there. Those people are out there. I'm, I'm going to clip this. I'm going to send it to them. Man, this for sure because the like I say, that's not that's not normal. There there won't be another freshman to come into Kansas State and ever do the, the things that Michael Beasley did. Like I say, and it, it wasn't like he was playing with upperclassmen that just made him better. He was playing with with freshmen other than Clint and and Blake. Sometimes he was playing with first year guys, and he was dominating. He was walking. He was getting double doubles at halftime. He used to tell me sometimes, "I'm sorry that I missed your assist. I got I needed to get another rebound." 
I missed my layup on purpose to get another rebound. And I used to be like, man, that's messed up. How could I average six assists as a freshman? Oh, damn. But he was that great. Like, that's his jersey. 30 deserves to be in the Raptors for sure. Definitely. Well, I've kept you long enough. I hope we can get you on again because I think I, I scrapped about 50 other questions I want to ask you. But I'm going to give you this time. Tell K-State fans everywhere who's listening to this, anything you want before we wrap it up. Uh, floor is yours. Man, I love you guys, man. I appreciate the K-State family, man. I, that's, that's that's the biggest thing, man. I, I, I enjoyed every moment, every minute that I was in Manhattan, man. It was never – it was never somewhere I didn't want to be. I was I was always happy to be there. I was always I always felt embraced. You know, I would I could go to go to Aggieville and go to the gym afterwards. Like it was, I, I, it it made me Manhattan made me feel like home, and I, I'm very appreciative of the success that I was able to have there because of the fans, the the people that believed in me. Like my sophomore year, I stunk it up, and they still came out. Like. It, it was it was a true connection. It was a true love, and I'm always thankful. That's why, I, no matter what, like I said, I'll always be a K-State fan. I'll always be a K-State alum. I'll always be a, be there to support, watching games, you know. I'm, I'm always around, and, and when I'm done, I'll be back. You'll see me more once I'm done. Once I'm done putting the ball in the basket, I promise Manhattan to see me more. Well, there you have it, K-State fans. Fear the beard, Jacob Poland the greatest of all time, the greatest score, future coach of K-State. Uh, him and Shane are going to take us to a championship one day. Uh, Jake, thanks again. <laughs> I have a whole K-State staff full of ex-players, me, oh, Kurt, Shane. That would be amazing. Oh, that would be great. But thanks again for spending all your time. And, uh, again, uh, ho hopefully we can get you on again. But if not, we're just going to be waiting for the day that uh, we can get the band back together and get your jersey in the rafters. Thanks again. Appreciate it, man. I appreciate it, man. Hail to the purple, hail to the white, wildcat in spirit, wildcat in fight. Hail alma mater from sea to sea. UK State Wildcats form alma mater fight. Glory in the combat for the purple and the white. Faithful to our colors, we will ever be a fighting, ever fighting for a wildcat victory. Fight, 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 fight. UK State Wildcats for alma mater fight, fight, fight.
Podcast Network.